Thanks for the town council regular meeting for Monday, March the 25th, 2019 order. The record show that we finally started on time. There is actually, uh, there should be an agenda in front of everyone. Uh, it's a relatively thin agenda. Uh, so I'm hoping that we will be able to set a record. Unfortunately, we've handicapped ourselves by having uh, Mr. Parker be uh, back in the CAO's chair. If it was somebody like Mr. Town or Mr. McQuig or Ms. Bell, I'm sure we'd be out of here in 30 minutes' time. Uh, so uh, are there any additions to the agenda, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Thanks for being a team player. Any deletions? There are none, yes, sir. Uh, so, can I have a motion to adopt the agenda as presented? Mr. Ford, all in favor? Uh, so, we, um, there are a set of minutes uh, from March the 11th, 2019. Who, were, who has read those and who wants to make a motion to pass them? Okay. That'll help focus discussion. Was there any problems with it? No? Okay. Uh, all in favor of Mr. Good's motion? Passed. Uh, any public hearings, Mr. There are none, Your Worship. And that'll take us to presentations. Uh, so I'll invite Mr. Ben Cook forward uh, to speak to us about enterprise, enterprise vehicle leasing. So um, again, my name is Ben Cook. I'm with Enterprise Fleet. Oh, sorry. There we go. So I'm with Enterprise Fleet Management. Um, so the agenda for tonight, uh, I've been meeting with um, Greg and Jim and been working with them on some fleet analysis and talking about our most recent partnerships with um, several municipalities and our partnership with the RMA over the last say about four or five months. So tonight's agenda, I'm just going to cover um, what it is we actually do and, and how we're helping municipalities in Alberta cut costs, come under budget, uh, using our expertise in the marketplace to uh, do so. So I'll first start off by um, you guys probably are more familiar with our sister company, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Uh, you probably see commercials, and, and we have a store actually up at the at the Nova Hotel here in town. Um, but that's that's where we're we're uh, more recognized in our fleet management department. The reason I'm bringing that up is because we're managing vehicles day in day out through our rental car division, and I have all of these different things that coincide with running a fleet of vehicles. 
And on our rental car side, we do that so well. We've, we've, we've built a global business on buying vehicles at the right time, selling vehicles at the right time, finding ways to minimize expenses in operational expenses. So what we're doing with municipalities in Alberta is transferring all that knowledge, all that expertise, and all of these, these different facets of vehicle management and applying that to a municipalities fleet of vehicles. So you'll see we handle everything right from acquisition to vehicle remarketing. Um, typically for a municipality, they have fuel programs, they have their own maintenance programs, they do a lot of that in-house. There's no cookie cutter program. We go in, we conduct an analysis, and just by knowing what we know in the vehicle market, we're able to come in with a program that lowers total cost of ownership, not just for the first year, the second year, we look very, we look into the future 10, 20 years down the road and see what's gonna lower costs and what's gonna help um, the municipality have the most efficient um, and most reliable fleet possible. You'll see that I do have acquisition and vehicle resale bolded here, and that's just, I'll touch on those two pieces um, for the majority of the night, and that's just how we're really helping our partners right now. And I'll go into a little bit more um, in depth on those items. So here's our current um, government partnership. So you probably recognize County and Northern Lakes. It's just north of here. Saddle Hills is fairly close. Um, they've come on board over the last uh, four or five months. We, um, we've been partnered with Cardston County for three years. So um, we've had a great partnership with them. We've uh, cycled vehicles out of their fleet and have um, some raw data and, and success stories to show from that partnership. The other important uh, partnership we have is with the RMA. So the RMA released an RFP on fleet management. Uh, we were the successful um, participant in winning that RFP, so we are trade compliant. So typically a municipality would go to tender for vehicles. Um, they can avoid that whole process now because the RMA has already put that um, business out to tender and we've uh, uh, won that RFP. So again, that has uh, spiked our, our um, I guess you'd call growth in this segment just because we are partnered with the RMA and then our, our oldest partnerships with Cardston, Newell, these municipalities we brought on before we even really knew anything about the RMA. So we've, we've, uh, we have a great track record thus far. So this is a testimonial which I won't read verbatim, but I'll just touch on some of the important points. So um, a couple points here is accuracy and forecasting. So obviously very important for government to be accurate in their budgets. Um, and you'll see here that we are extremely, extremely accurate. And we come to be this way because in running a rental fleet of vehicles, we're forecasting what things are gonna look like a month, two months, half a year, years down the road. And if we make a dollar mistake on our rental fleet of two million vehicles, it costs us $2 million. So we wanna make sure we're very accurate with our numbers and be conservative with our numbers when we're, we're conducting an analysis showing total cost of ownership. The other piece of this is the way we have managed Cardston's fleet of vehicles. 
We've saved them about $45,000 a year in operational expenses. Um, a little background, just to touch on it quickly. They're running a fleet of about 30 vehicles. And with a budget of $75,000 a year, that gets you about one and a half vehicle these days. Doesn't get you, you know, you're not replenishing the fleet on a regular basis. So with our program, we've been able to modernize two thirds of their fleet. Um, in total savings, they're saving about fifty dollars to $80,000 a year. And we're giving them, um, we're basically cycling 20 vehicles from their core fleet a year. I'll go into more detail of how that's how that works. Um, the other piece of this is we're great to work with in terms of um, being knowledgeable in our industry. Um, we're very honest and transparent um, in the way we conduct our business. So we've had a again have a great partnership. There's a great financial component in the savings piece, but we're also um, a, a great partner at the end of the day. So what makes us a great partner? So there's there's lots of things, but the the two main things that, and, and I've and I've probably already touched on them um, in different ways, but again, we're we're piggybacking off of 60 years of infrastructure that Enterprise as a company has built. Um, I keep throwing out two million vehicles that we manage globally, but here locally in Alberta, we manage about 20,000 vehicles um, in this province. So again. We have infrastructure built where we um, have great relationships with the manufacturers, dealers. Um, we have different channels of resale that we can sell vehicles in and all these different things. Um, but we basically have skin in the game in our, in, our, in our own business on our rental car side. So we just transfer that knowledge and infrastructure that we've built over to our fleet management customers. The other piece of this, and this is very important, is our account management style. So it's not like we give you a vehicle and after and say we'll see you in 12, 24, 36 months. It's it's um, it's it's more hands-on. So our account management team is is managing your vehicles like it is our own equity. So there's ebbs and flows in the market. There's the, the vehicle market is constantly changing. Um, lots of things are happening. And our account management team is keeping your administration up to date um, with those changes and showing you opportunities where we can save money, how we can come in under budget. Um, and that's what we've done with our, with our current partners. So with, with your fleet of vehicles, um, again, it's, it's, it's um, typically what we see with the municipality, an aging fleet of vehicles. Um, over time, again, with an aging fleet, fuel efficiency decreases, maintenance costs go up, and, and there's really no thought of um, resale value of that vehicle. There's At the end of the vehicle's life cycle, it's basically a piece of scrap metal, or you sell it for 500 bucks, or whatever you can get for it at an auction, or sell it locally. So what our object objectives are is to lower the age of your fleet, develop a cycling plan that's fluid and and, um, and plan out years in advance. Um, also provide flexibility and cash flow so we have our financing options that we'll touch on and, and who's using what uh, financing, financing options. They're very flexible. They're built to benefit 
the municipality we're working with based on their financial position. So again, with lowering the age of your fleet, developing a proper cycling plan, we're increasing safety in the fleet, performance, reliability, um, and again, just leveraging our relationships and our knowledge in the industry to do that. So this slide here, it's, it's titled Remarketing Impact, but really it, it ties into the acquisition piece as well. So when we're, when we're advising a municipality on what vehicles they should buy in their fleet, we're thinking about the remarketing piece six months down the road, 12 months down the road, 24, 36. We're conducting analysis to find lowest total cost of ownership for the vehicles that um, after analysis, that that municipality needs in their fleet to get to get the job done basically so whether it's a half ton a one ton a van a car we're looking at what that vehicle is going to sell for on the back end now the reason we're doing that so when we look at the buy we're looking at a make model trim level even color for example some of the municipalities we partnered with were, were running white vehicles in their fleet now none of them are when you go to sell a white truck in alberta a used white truck, screams oil field, pipeline job, construction. If you run a blue, red, silver truck, even though it is a work truck, it, it just doesn't have that appearance of being a work truck. So we're able to get more money on the back end for that truck. So that's a strategy that we, we've used with all our partners. We look at engine type features. We're not getting you into luxury vehicles or anything like that. There's still a work truck at the end of the day. but. On our rental side, we have vehicles out that are, are going out to construction jobs. We're running them and then selling them for a, a good amount of money in the back end. So again, we're just taking that experience of, of what we're selling in the marketplace and transferring it over. The next thing we look at is, is the running of that vehicle or what the application is. So I get a fleet list from Jim and Greg, uh, conducted an analysis and Right now, you're using your vehicles. Um, it's it, I'll say low utilization. You guys are keeping them in the city center for the majority of the time, so there's low kilometers on them. There's not a significant amount of wear and tear on them. So again, our program where we we're cycling vehicles a lot faster works really well with your utilization. And then when we go to sell that vehicle, we're being being very strategic about where we sell it, when we sell it, um, and again, being able to forecast uh, into the future gives us that opportunity to sell at the right time um, and to the right buyer. So um, I'll, I'll sort of explain how the remarketing piece plays such a huge role with in our um, equity lease. But it's very crucial to remarketing impact, and that's really the whole. Um, that's that's a large benefit of our program is the way we're selling vehicles on behalf of the municipalities we partner with. So this is just a the next couple slides, just a quick outline of your current fleet. So you're mixed with the manufacturer you use. Again, we're not biased to any one manufacturer. We do an analysis on each. You know, Ram, Ford, GM, we take what the upfront price is, what we're seeing in the marketplace for what they're selling for, and it's basically lowest total cost of ownership, and we conduct this analysis. Me, I, I conduct it almost every week, but we're conducting this analysis 
for you on a quarterly basis showing you um, what trucks are um, lowest total cost of ownership. You'll see again that the average age of your fleet is is uh, about 10 years old. You get a lot of vehicles that are older than 2008, so that's when we see higher fuel costs, higher maintenance costs, and um, you know less reliability vehicles are in the shop more. You're also running majority half ton and three quarter ton vehicles. Um, again, I mentioned the average kilometers you guys are putting on are about 15,000 kilometers a year. So again, that's your utilization. And then I'm sort of getting to um, what it is I do. I, I take all this data, put it into our system, um, and build a program based on your utilization, what trucks you guys use, and find out what the most effective, effective vehicle life cycle is for each vehicle in your fleet. And through analysis, we've we've come to the conclusion that it's it's about 12 months if we hold a truck for 12 months and then sell it, that's your lowest total cost of ownership in terms of depreciation, fuel, and maintenance. Um, Greg has ran the numbers, I'm sure he'll talk about it at some point with, with you folks on the savings aspect. It's quite significant, um, but again, we're managing all the pieces to the program. So now I'm just going to talk a little bit about the financing piece and, and what the lease looks like. Because whenever I talk about leasing, it's usually like, uh, it's, it's sort of a dirty word. Um, people don't want to <laughs> lease a vehicle, they're just not very comfortable with it. But this is unlike a traditional lease. Um, you're basically building up equity over the term, um, much like you would with a, with a, a lease from a dealership. Um, but that equity at the end of the term is coming back to the municipality. So there's no mileage restrictions, no wear and tear clauses. The leasee, so the municipality is responsible for the book value at the end of the term, but they also get the equity back at the end of the term. So a simple way to explain it, if we um, lease a truck that costs $37,000 and lease it to you for 12 months, there's going to be a lease payment on a monthly basis. We're going to write it down to a residual. At the end of the year, if we can sell it for $34,000, the difference in that $34,000 and the reduced book value is coming back to the county or the town. So that's really squeezing depreciation, how much you effectively pay for that vehicle. So that's um, that's our open-ended equity lease is what we call it because, you're again, you're building equity and you're getting that equity back. A typical lease that you'd be used to would be you pay a monthly fee for that vehicle, you bring it back, you would pay kilometer charges if there's wear and tear, you pay maybe some damage fees on that. But then the lessor or whoever's leasing you the vehicle would take that vehicle, sell it, and make whatever profit is they can on that vehicle. So that's that's the lease. We also have a self-funded option, which is basically just like a per purchase option. Because we're a fleet management company, we still have to we still hold title on the vehicle. We hold a lien on it, so you write it down to one dollar. We keep a dollar in the piggy bank, just so we hold a lien on the vehicle. Um, but if you use the same numbers, the vehicle costs thirty-seven. You run it for a year. We sell it for thirty-four. You get the thirty-four, thirty-three thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars 
tax. So again, that's that's how we fund vehicles. The municipalities are, um, depending on their their position, there we have some counties who are leasing and some counties who are, are outright uh, self-funding the vehicles or purchase or purchase option. So this is this is just a, an example of a budget. So this is something that we showed council in Cardston, and just dating back to 2017 when we started. Um, you'll see the lease cost. So we delivered 10 vehicles halfway about halfway through the year. Um, we took 10 vehicles out of their fleet and sold them on their behalf, which equaled $50,000. So their net cost that year was $14,000 for 10 vehicles after selling some of their, um, using some of the equity in their fleet strategically. They budgeted 75, so their surplus was 60. They put that into a reserve fund. The next year, we um, ordered another 10, so now we have 20 in the fleet. We sold 10 that we leased the first year, sold another 10 that were already in their fleet. And you see the lease costs versus resale proceeds, the difference in, in those two costs. Again, they budgeted 75, the surplus was 66. And then, and then this year we replaced um, another 20 and we're managing some of their vehicles in their fleet um, go only a, maybe three to 5,000 kilometers a year. So we put them on a different term just because uh, they aren't utilizing that we can get a, a few more years out of them and still sell them for a lot after. So again, that's a customized plan, but this is a, a sample budget of, of uh, what we've done with one of our partners. The additional savings is what, um, again, some of those numbers we mentioned at the beginning was the maintenance savings, the fuel savings, and then you'll just see FO versus dealer. So that's just us factory ordering vehicles at invoice cost versus um, putting a tender out and getting vehicles off the lot. There, there's going to be additional options in those vehicles. They might be marked up on some different options. So that's, that's the savings realized just by factory ordering at invoice cost. And then just to wrap it up, um, everything is tracked through our um, website. So each municipality has a dashboard that they use to keep track of all billing. Um, our account management team has access to it to, to make sure we have a good view of what's occurring in the fleet. And there's lots of things we can do on this to enhance um, I, I guess improve the program in terms of reporting and having everything on one one database. So that's just another piece of technology that our our partners are currently using. And that's that's all I have for uh, presentation. Great. Take Thanks, any great. questions? Yeah. Well, I got a question for. Mr. McQuaig, so how are we going to uh, handle this philosophical change going from run to absolute failure to <laughs> maintenance mode to change those vehicles out at <laughs> in 12 months' time? Oh, Your Worship, uh, something Director Town and I have been kind of working on. Essentially, the, the philosophy is that we're going to take the very oldest of our fleet that is basically kind of run into the ground and um, start replacing those. But even more essential for that, and this is something that we'll kind of bring forward uh, to you at uh, Friday next GMP, is more at 
when we're looking at uh, the numbers of vehicles in our fleet, is making sure that we've got the right numbers for that fleet. So not, this means not uh, just buying a vehicle for the sake of buying a vehicle, making sure that we've got the correct number of vehicles that we need to do the job day to day and identifying that and then from there we can start looking at taking the oldest vehicles we have and getting those replaced and then phase in the program over a couple of years. So Mr. Yeah. Kip, do you release fire trucks as well or? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I can see just thinking sure about it. <laughs> no, the, the answer to that is that um, we will manage and lease up to um, a medium duty truck. Um, like an F550 will get into like Q-bands and those types of things, but we don't lease anything that we don't manage ourselves just because we don't really have any expertise in, in the fire trucks. It would just be a bank <laughs> if we were leasing the fire trucks. So. so essentially what we're looking at for this is our half-time fleet and three-quarter times uh, and I think we've got one maintenance van in the mix. But essentially it's relegated mainly to our half tons and three quarter tons and I think there's also Evelyn, which is a little SUV there that will be involved in that mix as well. Um, one question I had on this is <clears throat> one of the components you brought up was maintenance. Mm -hmm. Do well, because the vehicles are still effectively your vehicle, we're leasing them or whatever arrangement. Um, do you maintain them during that period of time or do you have, because you, you talked about um, a lot of your partnerships allow you to um, get better deals on buying the cars because you, you have better relations. You buy more than I would, for example. Yeah. Do you have that same kind of economy as a scale available to municipalities through partners that you have in maintenance? Yeah. So. As I mentioned, currently um, most of the municipalities are doing their own maintenance in-house. So although uh, we're, we're leasing the vehicle out and we're title holder, the vehicle very much operates as it is your vehicle. You're, you're still on the registration as um, a co-lease payee is the term. It's under your own insurance. Um, as far as the maintenance goes, we'd be more than happy to uh, show what it would look like for maintenance to be done through with we would never do maintenance ourselves it's just a bad idea <laughs> but we would we can outsource you can outsource it to a third party who we have a relationship with we have preferred vendors but I'll just make a point that the key to this program is because we're cycling vehicles out so quickly it's it's basically an oil change and a couple filters like an example, Cartstrom is spending um, somewhere between twelve and fifteen hundred dollars per vehicle on average in their fleet before we started managing. Now they're averaging sixty-six dollars a year on their maintenance. So again, it's an oil change and a few filters. That. Yeah. So it's there's not much to outsource, and if you're currently doing oil changes in-house, so it's probably a pretty um, quick turnaround. So what happens if, uh, I don't know, something on the vehicle is under warranty and, or not under warranty, I guess, then the town would be totally responsible for that maintenance element to it? Yeah, so um, so I guess your, your question is if an engine goes on the truck. Whatever's yeah. <laughs> not under warranty, I guess. Yeah, whatever, yeah. 
Yeah, the, the county is responsible for the maintenance costs of that vehicle. We do have programs where we fix the maintenance, but um, again, because we're cycling vehicles so quickly, the maintenance, like if, if an engine goes in the first year, we'd probably fight the manufacturer <laughs> to get that looked after. That's something, that's a severe problem um, with, with the actual manufacturers tr with the truck. So we, all we recommend is getting the vehicle serviced as the manufacturer suggests. And uh, we haven't seen any engines go in the first year. I, uh, I know things happen for the first time, but so to answer your question, yes, the, the county is responsible for the maintenance. <laughs> tires and whatnot like that, the town is responsible, yeah. or you just hope nothing happens in the first year, or however many years you have. With yeah. So again, county is responsible for for all maintenance, tires brakes, any any scheduled or unscheduled maintenance, anything under warranty is covered by the dealer. But again, we're, we're using um, st statistical averages over a large number of vehicles. There could be one-offs, and, and if you were to go tender vehicle, you could still have an engine go in the first year, right? So it's, it's um, there's always a possibility of, of uh, something like that happening for sure. But if you manage your, if, if you're just buying vehicles, that could still happen. It's just uh, a circumstance we can't really control. Just, uh, well, I, I like what I've seen. Uh, I don't see my Toyota brand in there anywhere. I saw all those maintenance costs would not go to zero. You would have to do it for anything. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just, if I could just, I, I'm having a hard time, uh, maybe I didn't hear you right, buy a pickup truck for, I think I heard $37,000, run it for 12 months or a year, and you're going to sell it for 34. Like, is that yeah. what I heard? Yeah. Because I, I, that is, so I, I haven't bought a lot of vehicles in my life, but yeah. I bought a few. And but you're paying the dealer when you buy it, and they're not. That's the yeah. So if you if you go to a dealership and you go on to the lot, you're going to see a half ton truck, Ford F one fifty XLT with just basic options is going to be about fifty thousand dollars at least. Okay. So the pricing we use is called invoice pricing. So that immediately knocks off, we'll say four to five thousand dollars, or yeah, four around four thousand dollars. So that truck's now worth thirty-six or uh, forty-six thousand. The reason, and and thanks for bringing this up because I sort of forgot to mention this, but the reason this program works is working so well is because. Um, the manufacturers give a very high incentive to all government agencies. It's basically like a, a, a group incentive. So you get an additional incentive off of invoice pricing. And for an F-150, it's $11,000. So then you get that off of invoice pricing. We do not mark the truck up. The dealership who we're drop shipping it through, so we'll order directly from the manufacturer. It needs to come through a dealership. We use local dealerships. Um, it will drop through, they'll mark it up because they, they'll register, plate it on, we'll, we'll um, do that on, on our behalf, and then it goes to you. So at the end of the day, yeah, you're seeing, I think the, the trucks we priced out were just over 37000 approximately. 
And then you always hear the term, when you leave a dealership, you lose a lot of resale value on your truck. So again, if you buy a truck for $50,000, if it's worth 34 after one year, that is a lot, that's $16,000. <laughs> it goes down if you're just going to a dealership. But because we go off of invoice pricing, and because we go off of, um, we use that government fleet incentive, we're able to get a much cheaper price for that truck. Uh, and I've sent bills of sale to Greg, because he had the same question. So don't you have a follow-up question? Well, yeah, I want to know where the counselor purchase program is going to be. When can staff buy the next vehicle then? Um, or instead of we can register it to the to the town. Uh, how about <laughs> why don't we get rid of the uh, cell phone policy and bring you the uh, vehicle So, Mr. Mayor, um, we get uh, questions once in a while about buying locally and stuff like that. So, how do our local dealers filter into the process? Yeah, so um, we will always ask the municipality we're partnering with uh, if that is important, and 100% of the time it is. So we obviously have our preferred dealer partners that we go through where they charge us very little for a vehicle to drop ship. Um, but again, we want to work with local dealers. So we will just contact whatever local dealer is in your area and get a basically get a price of what it will cost. Uh, for us to drop ship through that dealership. We have not ran into anybody really raising the rates too high <laughs> on us. Um, we, For example, we're dropping uh, the vehicles for Northern Lights and Manning at their local dealership in town. Um, and, and from our point of view, we want to build as many great relationships with as many dealerships in the province because we have rental vehicles running around all over the map, so if something happens, we can go to a, a great partner in Peace River, in Manning, in wherever wherever we're at. The other piece of this too is, um, I mean, if we're cycling vehicles out 10, 20, I'm not saying that's where we're starting with you, we'll start with whatever is makes the most sense and what you're comfortable with, but once we get in the swing of things and, and the program um, there's proof in the pudding, so to speak. That dealership is now getting, um, you know, five, 10, 20 orders where they might have got one <laughs> in the past. So they're also benefiting greatly from the relationship. The other piece to that, I know this is a long winded answer, but we also do a lot of business with uh, private clientele um, all over the map. And if we have a local dealer that we can drop ship, if they're doing work in um, high level or anything like that, we can drop ship vehicles through Peace River instead of doing it through maybe a hub like Edmonton. And then, like, that's a great advantage for us to have. So, again, it works out for everybody and using local dealerships. Yeah. Any other questions for Mr. Cook? All right, thank you very much, Ben. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. I'd just like to uh, say to Council that uh, this presentation is a thanks of our people to Hockville, but it's also one of the uh, uh, projects that uh, us going to RMA. So in the fall when we went to RMA, that's where we connected and then we started the process with uh, you know, the senior pension. So it's 
if ever anyone's asking us, you know, what's good going to the RMAs and things like that, th this is a perfect example. <coughs> we'll see what the response is once the counselor leasing vehicle leasing program comes into effect. Okay, uh, bylaws. A request for decision regarding bylaw 2044, <coughs> offsite levy bylaw. I should just mention uh, St. Albert uh, changed their bylaws to increase the, uh, the fines for uh, not picking up your dog litter. It's now 250. Okay, so they were picking up over three tons, two or three tons of this stuff. I heard the same program you did on the radio per year. I didn't hear that part. I don't think we have that much, but the dike is really gross. At the, when it melts off. Well, no, uh, they also, you get fined if you're walking your dog and you don't have a bag. Oh, wow. we should implement that. That could be a revenue generator, Alan. You have to have a dog, though. <laughs> yeah, no, your kids don't count. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay, bylaw 2044. Good evening. Uh, so we are here to present bylaw 2044, which is the offsite levy bylaw. This bylaw introduces new rates for our offsite levy and also is a improvement in terms of the consistency of the language between the bylaw and the policy, which, well, on your agenda for information this evening, does not require a decision tonight. Uh, so we have the bylaw before you, which, um, as I said, improves the language. The key language change within the bylaw itself that we would like to point out is that it changes section seven around the imposition, imposition of the offsite levy, um, changing the shall impose to a may, which coincides with our offsite levy policy that identifies certain circumstances where the offsite levy would not be applicable. Uh, the rates, which uh, I should probably let Director Town speak to, are also attached. Uh, the offsite levy areas, which are Schedule A, those have not changed since the previous bylaw, but the rates attached to each area uh, have changed substantially. Do you want to jump in at this point? Or? Um, yeah, I could do that really quick. Um, I will correct Ms. Moody when she oh. says Schedule A has not changed. We've actually added three. <laughs> <laughs> That's we, true. We, we have added three areas, and again, um, there there were existing um, sections or part of the the designated areas, and they were really carved out or parsed out because of the the use of those lands. Um, they're generally <coughs> we do work try to work off our residential and commercial lands, and these were designated as others or generally um, unlikely to be developed. So um, sections or areas 50 to 52 are new. Um, within the, the levies of the bylaw, staff spent a significant amount of time uh, projecting and rationalizing the upcoming projects and costs that would incur um, charges against off-site development in the levies. Um, worked on a rationale for the allocation of those costs versus existing town costs. Um, and what council sees before them are significant changes and, in fact, reductions to the levies, um, generally in the 50% range. Um, 
50%, 51% being the weighted average reduction, even though because of how the the construction uh, will progress through through a town, um, some parcels or sections may have smaller um, increases or decreases. I mean, while some may have significantly larger decreases. Um, but from our the perspective of the averaging and the number that we use, there's about a 51% reduction in the weighted average of, of the rates. Um, and again, that's that's solely attributable to um, mostly the internal calculation, um, allocating those between existing town versus future development. Um, there'll be more information that'll be brought forward both to the public and council will receive that also that discusses and um, justifies the methodology. Um, so that'll be made available. Uh, it may become <coughs> there's a potential Schedule D that could form part of this bylaw, or it could be a separate. Again, if we could refer to it, um, that might be an option also. The future construction in terms of roads, water, and sanitary sewer over the next 25 years is projected at $148 million based on our model, um, which is a pretty significant number. Um, and averages between seven and eight million dollars a year. Um, that does not include capital works that we would do for recreation, cultural centers, IT, fire protection, or the like. So again, these are just looking at road, water, and sanitary sewer. Of those, um, again, based on our allocations, uh, the the uh, potential for for new development, which impacts the offsite levies, um, they're responsible for about seven percent or seven million of that total. So less than, than 5%, give or take. Um, and again, it's just a rationalization of, of what we expect future development will look like compared to the, the rationales and justifications that were used in the previous model, which um, were significantly higher in terms of the allocation that was allocated towards development. And again, um, as Ms. Moody will discuss, there, there is a required outreach and communication piece that we are doing to the development community. Um, these items will be brought forward, discussed, rationalized, and, and justified, and we'll be able to have that discussion. So uh, in terms of the policy that accompanies the bylaw, we did bring that forward to the GMP uh, last week. But we have made a few changes since the council last saw the policy. Uh, specifically, there are new applicability thresholds, which um, which council did see, but I'll state for the sake of them being new to this policy as compared to the previous. Uh, the first is that uh, offsite levies would not be imposed <coughs> at the time of an application dealing with stripping, filling, excavation, or stockpile, which is a development under the land use bylaw, but not something that will create an ongoing uh, imposition on our infrastructure and therefore we wouldn't take offsite levy at that point. We're also adding change of use um, and when we're dealing with the change of use land use or development permit application, uh, we're not necessarily creating an additional burden on our offsite infrastructure. So again, we would not be taking uh, the offsite levy at that point. And then also we have the ability now where we're dealing with a subdivision or development where the law in question is not connected to our municipal infrastructure namely to water and sanitary, we would not take the offsite levy portions for those uh, infrastructure types. And then 
Two of the draft policies were brought forward to Council and have since been further refined. Uh, the first one is on development um, on parcels of land that are greater than four hectares. We have clarified that uh, the intent here is to really deal with any potential large lot residential development. So in this case, we are clarifying it to say that develop, residential development or development associated with residents such as a bed and breakfast or home-based business and the like uh, with on lots that are larger than one hectare, we would not require that the entirety of that parcel be taken as offsite levy. So we would define within a development agreement the specific area of land that we are taking as offsite levy, and the remainder, the offsite levy, would not have been taken at that point. That re allows or recognizes that there are some circumstances within town, particularly in the residential area where we have very large lots where someone at this point uh, with an off-site levy charge of say 160 acres if we're dealing with a subdivided quarter section would not be able to contemplate having a residence on that lot. So this allows us to deal with those circumstances. And we're, we're, removed, we're clarifying for residents <coughs> because that really was the circumstance we were trying to address when it came to this policy. We have also lowered the threshold. Uh, initially, council, we brought forward uh, four hectares, so parcels had to be larger than four hectares. We have dropped that down to one hectare. So it's creating more circumstances where we can take just the portion of the land where the, the additional uh, burden on the infrastructure is being created. And then finally, uh, we have subdivision on large parcels of land. Uh, Initially, we had brought forward this part, this policy where the threshold was a large parcel was something deemed greater than four hectares. We have dropped that down to one hectare of land. So again, we're allowing people to create smaller portions where the levy is not imposed. So if you're doing a subdivision and the parcels are greater than a hectare, then we don't have to take the levy at that point. If there was subsequent development or subsequent uh, subdivision that brought that levy uh, down or sorry, that um, created a smaller parcel, then we would take the offsite levy at that point. But we're allowing land within the town to be further subdivided without the levy coming into play because the pressure to develop the timelines associated with it in Peace River are not necessarily enough, uh, it's not enough development pressure to allow that development to happen or that subdivision to go forward. And so it's kind of quashing processes before they really get started. So those are the major changes to the policy. Um, we've also uh, pointed out that there are some changes to the deferral policies. Those have, have not changed since we brought them forward to Council for information. Uh, but we have created a second deferral threshold. So we are now willing to talk to developers about deferring payment of the offsite levies if you've got an offsite levy greater than $10,000. So it's, it's much reduced compared to the $400,000 threshold that we previously had. And we've also lowered the required down payment from 50% to 25%. So we are requiring some dollars up front, but we are willing to defer some of that payment to a later date. Uh, so in terms of next steps, after first reading, which we hope we'll receive tonight, administration is aiming to consult with the development community. We have scheduled an open house for April 2nd here in council chambers, which is uh, just over a week away. Our intention is to keep the process moving forward as we are hoping that there are some developers that are looking to do some development in the very near future and we'd like to get this process through if possible. Um, so that open house is proposed to be from 5 until 7 p.m. 
or we'll, we will be sending out notification letters uh, to specific developers that we know within the community. So they'll be getting specific notice. We'll also be doing a general public notice. Uh, we are going to miss the Record Gazette deadline because we know or we are trying to do this quickly, but we'll still be doing an advertisement in the Record Gazette to make sure that we're capturing that audience as well. And if they do have any questions coming forward, they can discuss with administration before this comes back to council. So we'll have that opportunity to have a, that conversation. So in terms of the options that are before council, um, your first option and the one that is recommended is to provide first reading to bylaw 2044, which will allow us to move this process forward. Uh, you could also table the bylaw to a subsequent meeting, which would delay our process, but allow you to provide any direction that you might have that may differ from what we've presented. Uh, or otherwise defeat bylaw 2044, which would leave the offsite levy rates and the offsite levy bylaw that's in place today standing. Questions. <coughs> That's fairly quick to have a meeting after. Am I correct in assuming that there are probably companies that are expecting this and are sort of aware, or hit, uh, sort of in a general sense, that you're trying to do this? We certainly have had some conversations with a number of developers, and they know that we've been working on it, and then we're looking to bring this forward as soon as possible. We'll make sure that anybody we've had ongoing conversations with is aware. And, and the Chamber of Commerce, is that one of your uh, reach outs? I'm not aware that it's on the list, but we can certainly add it. We would, yeah, we'll, we'll ensure that we include them. We'll, we'll also ensure that, um, you know, plus the people that we've been in, uh, discussing with, um, We'll, we'll grab the information from our business license list, construction companies, developers, um, and we'll make sure those are all included. Um, kind of a double uh, benefit here, because they haven't registered in town and they might get missed out. That's kind of on them, so. Uh, but we'll, we'll ensure that them, plus the broader communities, have uh, been contacted for this in short order. I, I, just, I just don't want to have the headlines Town Council rushes sneaky bylaw through, um, et cetera, et cetera, so forth, because I mean, that could be a perception of passive Monday meeting on Friday. I mean, that, that's that's my, my question about time is because of that. And at, at this point, we have scheduled an open house to be fairly quick. We have not scheduled exactly when we'll bring this back to Council, so we'll have the initial consultation, and if there is a reason because we're having ongoing conversations to delay and do some more work and some more meetings, then we have the opportunity to do that before we bring it back to council. We wanna go as quickly as we can, provided everybody is aware, and if we need to slow down to bring everybody on board, then we can do that as well. So can we uh, do a review and comments form on the the web page similar to what you did for the marijuana bylaw. And people can put in their comments if they're not going to show up at an open house. Currently, the web page recommends getting in touch with the planning uh, department, but we can add a form. I think we should add a form, and then we can maybe summarize the preamble, would be basically what the, uh, the positive changes are. Yep. Uh, allow them access to a PDF and they can read it. Comments on it and uh, give them uh, whatever 
Like you wouldn't see coming back here for his time on it. Would you? For the final, uh, second and final reading. Uh, are you suggesting that is short or? No, I'm, I'm just asking because, like, do you actually see us in, in a, doing that in, in 30 days? In a best case scenario, I think we could be here for the April 23rd council meeting, depending on the conversation. Whatever, 15 day review and time period, I guess, or something like that for that. Yeah, Your Worship, uh, if, uh, in my time on council, I quickly uh, sketched out about 10 names in front of me here, and uh, uh, my list is, are people that have been expressively con had concerns with the bylaw, uh, or their landowner, or their developer. So I don't need to read those names into the record, but perhaps offline I could pass those along to administration and like I said I just came up with 10, 10 names quickly and I'm I'm, uh, I'm sure there's a more thorough list as well but maybe we could just double check. Uh, with that I'm certainly prepared to put a motion on the floor to provide first reading to uh, 2044. So I got a few more questions. So uh, uh, should this all go through uh, do you envision any other changes that are necessary to, so we have a strategic goal of uh, I'll, I'll call it offsite levy bylaw reform uh, so once this is passed we can put a checklist to that you know see any other reforms that are needed in the next couple of years in terms of the offsite <coughs> yeah. bylaw um, no, uh, so I don't you envision. You put a checklist beside a check mark beside that uh, strategic goal. That, that's my hope. Okay. I will just add though that the offsite levy is a file that needs to be updated on a regular basis, and so administration has to bring it back to council in two years' time. <laughs> yeah. So what, what is this, an annual review? How come we haven't done this before? <laughs> Will I be out of office by then? Hopefully. Okay. Before we, before we vote on this, uh, I, I'm seeing the rush that we're bringing this to the table so that we can catch this year's construction cycle. Is that correct? That's a good point. Yeah, and, and I think this is a great opportunity. I mean, Don makes a you know, a could go the wrong way kind of scenario, but if we control the messaging of us getting out in front of this, getting ahead of this before this year's construction, um, I think it's ideal. I think that the changes here reflect our willingness to, uh, you know, create development in our community and, and not cause all the taxpayers to be burdened. Actually, that. the biggest criticism we'll get is how come you didn't do this a year ago? So I don't think there'll be any any concerns about it. Well, and our answer to that, that is is that we're a town of seven thousand people, and we have only limited amount of staff. They're doing all they can do. That works all the time. Well, the answer to that is we were dealing with a bunch of keyboard morons in town west aviation. <laughs> I think my motion's still on the Good, floor, yeah, Worship, so I, 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 I'd, I'd suggest yeah. vote on this. Uh, I, uh, Mr. Needham, I'm the chair. I get to call the vote. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm, I'm asking you when you're going to do that. I don't think you have the floor. All in favor? Pass. Awesome. 
I was just going to say your uh, your your uh, your comment was very welcomed by the mayor. <laughs> Regarding keyboard warriors. <laughs> okay, very good. New business. Oh no, unfinished business. Request for a decision grants to groups Peace River Minor Soccer. Good evening. I'm bringing forward a uh, request for decision regarding uh, uh, the Peace River Minor Soccer request or grant. At the March 4th, 2019 Council meeting, um, Peace River Minor Soccer made a presentation requesting funding through the Grants to Group program. Uh, council was able to ask questions and uh, get more information about the, their program. At that time, Council suggested that the organization resubmit their application for a specific event or project as the grant is not intended for operational needs. Peace River Minor Soccer has resubmitted their application for assistance uh, for their 2019 U9 and U11 striker tournament to be held May 25th. Uh, 2019. Um, based on their application, uh, the uh, administ administration recommended the council provide $650 in funding for this uh, tournament. Uh, that's based. That number was based on uh, like uh, support for s similar recreational activities. And also the fact that I had asked if they had um, gone out and solicited any funds from businesses or other municipalities. They said they have a letter that they're going to take out because they haven't done that yet. Um, late Friday afternoon, I also uh, was informed that uh, the actual cost for the field rental for this tournament will only be about $130, not the $450 that they uh, have in their budget. And based on this new information, Administration would like to amend the amend the recommendation to council to provide only three hundred and fifty dollars in funding for the tournament. Questions, Mr. Schramm. Mr. Schramm, uh, are they aware that the field costs are lower than what they had originally anticipated? I'm not sure if the uh, community services has contacted them yet. I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Um, but uh, what community services says is that um, minor soccer is uh, allowed one free tournament per year, which will be the U8-11 uh, group, and so they won't be charged for the use of the BMI or the H&R block field. Uh, but they will be charged for the U9 group, and that's uh, 1530 an hour, so based on a eight-hour day is roughly $130. So, Mr. Schramm, I heard you reference that the original 650 was based on similar type situations, and, and, and I do appreciate that we're, we're trying to look at that a little bit differently because I think we maybe aren't doing that well. Um, but it, when we base our decision-making on the budget that they submitted, Assuming that they still have the information, or they based it on the field costs that they have previously paid, um, the again, it makes me wonder if this application is ready for us to make a decision on. 
Um, I like try to pull as much information together as I could. Right, I understand um, that. And you know, I, I reduced the the one thousand dollar request on the six fifty just based on um, you know what we've done for things like the swim meets and stuff, and the fact that they seem to be wanting to go out and solicit for more funds. And then uh, community services informed me about the actual costs. And so that's where I reduced the um, recommendation again to reflect that. Your Worship, my concern in this in this scenario, and I, and I was alluding to it earlier, was is, I mean, obviously we can't sustain every special interest group, of which soccer would certainly be considered one. Um, having said that, we are, you know, we're months away from finishing our, our multiplex and uh, it's been a long-term program in our community and and I'm, I'm when I listened to their presentation and saw their first submission it seemed like there was a lot of people who were didn't know what they were doing and, and we may be at risk of losing that that whole organization simply because we're there's a ball that's being dropped and I'm not saying it's us that's dropping that ball but that's my concern. And if we go back at them with 350 and say, we still expect you to go out and do fundraising, which obviously I do, um, it may impact the ability for them to host the, the tournaments at all. And that's just sort of where I'm weighing in and why I said maybe this is still not ready for council's decision, in my opinion. Yeah, so we've, we've accommodated the fact that, first of all, they came to us with an application that didn't cut the and then we we allowed them to rework the application they weren't ready the last time we extended it uh sounds like mr shram has worked with them quite a bit and uh otherwise if we our program was to uh, do this in batches but basically a deadline every quarter so if they don't get any monies this time around, technically they'd have to wait until the next application. And uh, that's the uh, Mr. Schramm administration has made a recommendation for uh, whatever it was. $350. dollars just a recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> if you jump in now, you can you can you can put another motion on the table, and and I guess if that doesn't pass, then we uh, we we may very well end up ratcheting it down anyhow. But so, Mr. Mayor, I'm in favor of um, making a decision tonight, and I do think that yes, maybe the group needed help, but. They got something together here, and it's a very worthwhile program. We try and promote elder <coughs> communities for families, so I would make a motion <laughs> that uh, the uh, group, Peace River Soccer Association, um, be granted $650 from the grants to groups. Okay, okay all in favor? Against? Thank you very much. Okay. 
Evening, Worship and Council. Before you is a, a letter from the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta and um, an invitation uh, for the mayor's attendance at their May 2nd, 2019 um, National 60 Scoop exhibit. Um, so what we're looking for here, I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail in terms of, of the request. It is a potential enabling motion for Council and um, or sorry, is it just for the mayor or for? Okay. Um, yep. So again, gauge council's appetite if uh, if you're interested in attending uh, this event, the mayor could bring words and to enable council and mayor to attend uh, on behalf of the town. Oh, so this has nothing to do with uh, giving them Athabasca Hall for the, or the museum for a week or whatever it is. Uh, not, not that permission. These, these are just the enabling motions to, uh, to allow attendance when, if council's interested. When, when is the date? May second. So May second. Thursday. During the day, too. Well, the deputy mayor is always great at. Deputy mayor may or may not be in town on that day. Unfortunately, I think this is uh, one of the uh, important events in. Uh, the Indigenous history, it goes along with residential schools, uh, 60 scoop, and in terms of our TRC um, commitments uh, from the town council, I think it's important to support this. So I would make a motion that the mayor and council be enabled to attend the opening of the National 60 scoop exhibit on May 2nd at the Peace River Museum Archives and McKenzie Center and the mayor or his designate to be bring welcoming remarks and land acknowledgement. Okay. So, does um, anybody want to make comments, debate the motion? All in favor? Passed. Uh, reports. Um, there is one table. Uh, Northern Alberta Development Council Proceedings reported December 13, 2018. Here's our NADC rep, or do we need that one? Oh, is that a committee that we cut? We finally cut a committee. <laughs> I think it uh, sometimes goes with uh, the Northern Alberta Elected Leaders Program. Oh. I wasn't able to attend this one, but. Your, your Worship, um, this this report comes to us. I'm guessing that they mailed it in and, and it made it onto our agenda. Um, and you know, I read it and had some interesting information and some repetitive information. But I have to say, I was a little disappointed that we have an NADC office here in our community. We have a representative on the board of the NADC. Our MLA, well, our former MLA. Uh, was the chair of this, and nobody from the office came to make this presentation. 
Um, I'll just uh, say that I was emailed this and I suggested to our uh, admin that it be put on the agenda. So. And I appreciate that, but I think, again, NADC operates in our community, and it's not a big stretch for them to make a, a yearly stop in at council to present it. And, and, and I will be sending an email regarding that to, to their local people. Good show. Uh, um, on behalf of all of council? No, on my own. Can we enable that on her email? <laughs> no, then that would have to come from admin. I said that. You could write that. Yeah. Um, so I probably should take this opportunity to talk about the North Peace. Where's the arts festival? Oh, the grand concert. The grand concert. North Peace Performing Arts Music Festival. Yeah, I guess. There's a, no, there's no music in there. It's just performing arts festival, right? Performing Arts Festival. So, uh, so you could dance even. I, 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 uh, I did deliver a, a few points. I noticed that the rest of the council wasn't there. Uh, neither were any of the surrounding councils, even though we had received received some assurance that uh, they are often in attendance. That wasn't the case, but nonetheless, I, uh, I, I did. Uh, I did point out to to the North Peace Performing Arts Festival that they are the bul bulwark. Uh, they are, they are the ones that are separate that are keeping the barbarians at the gates. <laughs> that without them, uh, our civilization would crumble. And uh, and I I highly commended them for that and their efforts. And uh, I did say that anybody that wasn't in attendance, but it was two weeks ago, should consider them part of the great unwashed. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> no comment on circumcision either on that. That's, that's a different. Okay. No, that I would have saved that for a religious um, and then uh, the uh, I, I probably should just make a report about the icebreak uh, preparations. Uh, so there have been a couple of meetings uh, held in preparation for the ice breakup. Uh, the uh, thinking at Alberta Environment and Parks is that the uh, and I think we all think this is that the. The, uh, the Smoky River will break up first and because the Peace River is uh, pretty solid and it's uh, still past well above Dunvegan. And so our concerns are about uh, the Smoky River breakup. Uh, we do, I think Alberta Environment, uh, certainly Stephen Emmer, probably wouldn't want me to be this predictable about it, but because uh, he's hedging his bets, but we could probably count on uh, the Smoky holding for about another week. Isn't that the impression you got, Mr. Quaid? No, that is your worship. Uh, there are about a week and then the piece of her, we're still a good three weeks out before we see any advancement enough uh, to come up to meet the Smoky at that point. 
So Alberta Transportation and uh, the bridge people, Acon and Flatiron, uh, are in attendance at these meetings. They are uh, working very hard to get the berm out. Um, they they uh, they believe they will have it out by uh, Wednesday late evening, and to put it back in the dike will be just a matter of hours after that. So uh, we did ask them if they needed any more resources. Uh, they felt they had it in hand. So I think that we, uh, and we, we feel getting the berm out is important so that there's no catch point for any uh, ice debris that may come down and create a log jam. And, um, and also our uh, emergency response people, Mr. Harris and Mr. Mike Frayne are in attendance along with Mr. McQuaid at these uh, ice breakup sessions. As is our communications officer, Ms. Hume. And uh, I, I, I take it we are not making any, uh, any, any public comments at this time. Or Regarding river ice? Yeah. The we? statement that went out to staff and council this afternoon was also published on our website oh, and okay. social media. Okay. That was from my peacefriver.ca. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> I just put in all staff and council. So. Um, yeah, it recaps most of that information at a very basic level. It was okay. reviewed by our uh, fire chief and our director of infrastructure as well. Um, but it provides some assurances to the public that, for example, the berm will be out of the river well in advance of breakup. So. Yeah. Um, well, we expect it to be out by Wednesday. Yes. That uh, we don't expect the smoky to go out, but you were in attendance at those yep. meetings, and uh, Alberta Environment won't uh, they won't give you any guarantee. Uh, so, and they and they can't give a guarantee, but at the same time, yep. they're uh, they're certainly not very uh, uh, solid in their. Uh, predictions. The question I have is, historically, what's occurred when the smoking goes out first? Because it normally doesn't. We normally skirt that problem. So there are three things that can happen. One is uh, smoky lets out, and we create an ice dam at, that, uh, at the mouth of the smoky. And sometimes it gets hung up. There's a little elbow just further up the smoky, and it gets hung up there for a little bit. But what will happen is the smoky totally lets out. It creates an ice dam at the smoky, and then you've got localized flooding around the smoky itself. So the question at that point uh, has to be, okay, where that'll reach to a certain point, but after that, the water is either going to go over the ice or under the ice. So that tends to be more the question of how that, that dynamic happens. And uh, so there's the three uh, cases. One, it dams up and you get localized flooding there. One is uh, it uh, hits the river ice and the river ice at the mouth is, is uh, kind of softened up enough from local warming that it will punch through a little bit and then dive under the river ice and, and raise the river level up. Or the other aspect it can do is if it's fairly solid at that point, it would then go over top of the ice and then slow down the river surface at that point. Okay, that answers part of the question. 
Um, are, are any of those three scenarios much higher levels of risk? Uh, probably the one that's more higher risk is where we have water going under the river ice and raising the overall river level there. Uh, so, but knowing that, that's something we also coordinate with DC Hydro as how much water they're letting through. So it's something that we coordinate fairly closely with environment and with BC Hydro. And that's something you should probably mention too, that BC Hydro is an active participant at these river ice meetings as well. And in respect of how much uh, water is being let out at the, when we go through this breakup process, we're very, very cognizant of that, how much water to kind of reduce as much, uh, reduce or lessen any potential for flooding within the town. BC Hydro, I sat in the meeting last Friday, but not this one. Um, what did they say about the wells in West Peace, or do they care right now? Uh, so we haven't talked about that to this point. Uh, we did kind of talk about that a little bit about uh, when we did uh, freeze up and uh, river levels at that point were higher, and then they'll turn on their dewatering wells. And the same thing would happen here uh, as we go through breakup is basically just looking at where that river level comes up, where we're looking at around 316 meters, that's where they're probably going to start turning on the dewatering wells for low west east and to make sure that uh, the groundwater level is keeping up with the river level there. So as part of this until they uh, uh, the transportation and their contractors get the burnout. Uh, we're having daily meetings. That's correct. And uh, we'll probably cut those back once the berm is rebuilt. And uh, but, but there'll be uh, there'll be river watching up. So yeah. Uh, once we're through that initial period, uh, we're still going to be meeting once a week until the river outside. And same process as we uh, kind of went through with uh, freeze up this year. And I think actually it worked better than previous years uh, in having those weekly meetings. Although we're a little more amplified this year having construction in around the river. Uh, can't kind of amplify that, but uh, from what I've seen, uh, I think the level of cooperation between environment, transportation, ourselves in BC Hydro uh, has been uh, extremely encouraging uh, in the way we've been dealing with it as, as opposed to previous years. Your Worship, what's uh, what's the latest intelligence on the, the heart system? That has caused the town considerable. So we did a uh, sneak peek of the heart this year, but uh, there again, uh, it's fairly frozen up at this point in time. Uh, it doesn't look like it's uh, going to let go very soon. Uh, and the river levels on the heart were fairly low compared to, uh, so it's to a point where it's not causing us any concern at this point. And the snowpack seems to have yeah. disappeared for the most part, so we don't expect a gush of run off. Um, they are expecting the, the well they get an aerial photograph of the of, of the snowpack 
I guess every day, but they are at the end of this month going out and measuring the snowpack. That's correct. Right. And, and so, so far, their biggest concern is looking at the smoking, what that's doing. So uh, right now, uh, the, the little smoky cell seems like it's fairly frozen up and had uh, some photos of that with uh, basically most of the water going over top of the existing river ice right now, so but there's no uh, evidence of ice being broken up and uh, uh, any evidence of the little smoky letting out just yet uh, above Portino. So uh, a, uh, a motion to accept the reports for information. Uh, Mr. Ford's motion, all in favor. And uh, that takes us to information. There's only one item under information. It's a letter dated March the 18th from Minister Sandra Jensen regarding the Aladair Rec Center. That Rec Center was offered up to them for uh, something like $350,000 to, uh, to, uh, to take over and turn into a parking lot for government of Alberta employees. Uh, they decided not to accept that offer. So maybe a motion to accept more information. Item 10.1, all in favor? Motion. Uh, any notices of motion, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Uh, I will skip the comments from the public since there's no public in the gallery. Um, what do we need to highlight under key communication items with you? Off site levies. Okay, and you'll have a whole. Uh, We'll advertising program around that. Yeah, it's ready to go. We'll start tomorrow. Good. I'm looking forward to putting a big check mark on that. Okay. Uh, that let's recess for five minutes, five ten minutes, and then uh, come back for in camera.